Hello and welcome to Pharmacy For Me, your go-to platform for evidence-based best practice pharmacy advice for common kids' presentations to pharmacies. I'm Katie McGee, a registered pharmacist with the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Authority, and I bring you this series of episodes to help assist your decision-making in managing and treating your little ones if they become unwell and need professional advice. Hello, welcome. I am Katie McGee, and welcome to another episode of Pharmacy For Me. Thank you for following along my podcast journey. I hope you can get something out of this episode and learn something new. Thank you to those who are engaging in my Instagram, particularly the stories where I'm putting up question boxes and quizzes. I would love to give information that you guys want. And when you respond to these, I know that the information that I prepare in the episodes is what you actually want to know and hear about. So keep it up if you are, or if you're not, please answer. And also any feedback is also welcome. Today, I will be talking through a big topic of children's pain and fever. This can be tricky to navigate as so many things can cause pain and or fever. I will go through how to tell if a child is in pain, signs and symptoms, what causes fevers, non-pharmacological and pharmacological, which as I explained last week is non-medication treatments and medication treatments and things that warrant a visit to the GP or more urgent medical attention. I have some good references today that you can refer to. They will be available in the show notes and also um, on the episode's Instagram post, and I'll put them in the story highlights for this week's. Um, In particular, one that outlines symptoms and how to correlate whether they are mild, moderate, or severe signs. I will also go through differentiating between different conditions associated to pain and fever to help guide your decision making around your children's specific pain and or fever. Throughout the episode, I will be busting some myths around pain and fever and will also address some commonly asked slash googled questions by caregivers around pain and fever. If you are listening to this particularly to address pain and fever right now, please also refer to episode two on teething as I do go into detail about um, the pharmacological treatments used for pain. So let's talk about fever. Fever is a high temperature that usually lasts about two to three days. It is common in children and on its own, it is not usually harmful. Fever is the body's normal response to many things, but Most commonly, it is usually an infection. Fevers, however, can be very concerning for caregivers, especially when they present in a newborn um, and or children. The reason for concern should not be the fever itself. As I said, this does not cause harm. It's usually whatever is causing the fever. A fever is commonly due to something else. Therefore, it's important to monitor um, any child with a fever and look out for any other changes in symptoms to the child. The most common cause of fever in children is a bacterial or viral infection. This can only be diagnosed by a GP or other medical professional. So how do you know if your child has a fever? You need to measure it. A normal body temperature is about 36 degrees, between 36 and 37 degrees. A fever is greater than 38 or higher. There are different devices available to measure temperatures and the results of the devices can give 
different results between them. So it's important to use a good device that takes um, an accurate temperature. So I'll go through some of these. So the first one is in-ear thermometers. So these um, are not accurate for under six months of age. So over six months only. What they do is you place them inside the child's ear and they um, detect using um, emissions off, off the membrane inside the ear um, and convert it into a signal which can be interpreted as a temperature reading. Um, they're really popular because they have a really fast measurement speed so you don't have to put it in for very long and it's really easy to access the in-ear, you know, if, particularly if a child's laying down or laying on your lap, it's quick and it's really easy. The contact of the ear means that it either needs cleaning between hand or you can also buy little disposable sleeves that you put over the end that you can just, you know, click on, take the temperature and click off, which makes it um, quite easy to um, use. The second one is a forehead thermometer. You will have seen these as well, um, like a little thing you hold and you place it over the child's forehead um, and it takes a temperature. So it does this by infrared. Um, it takes a temperature measurement a short distance off the front of the forehead, the frontal bone, without actually having any contact with the skin. Um, these um, are a bit more advantageous to ear or other thermometers because there's no contact to the device. Um, so it means you can have quick temperature readings without cleaning between if you're measuring um, temperatures of, of many people at once, which we have seen with COVID-19. But I think with your own child, it's not too bad if you're just measuring the one person. Um, the next one is very similar to the forehead thermometer, but it's the forehead to hairline. So what it does is you actually start with the thermometer at the top of the middle top of the forehead at the front of the face, and you slowly move it down to the side, almost to the top of the ear. And what these ones do is again, use infrared, the same as a forehead thermometer that's contactless, but it takes up to about, oh, some of them can do about a thousand readings um, as you um, move it from top to the side and it reports the highest temperature that it detects. Um, again, it has its advantage over others is that it doesn't require any disposable covers um, or washing between because it doesn't actually make contact with the skin but they do take a little bit longer to use in compared to like an ear thermometer that takes the temperature very quickly. So the next one is a digital thermometer, which you'd be very familiar with the classic stick thermometer um, that reads the temperature from the tip. Um, the measure with this of temperature can be done under the tongue, the armpit, or in the rectum, so up the bottom. Digital thermometers contain um, a, a thing in them. I'm not going to go into too much detail. Um, but it 
allows the digital thermometers to measure small, very small changes in temperature over a short range. So they can, they're quite beneficial for this. Um, they do, however, because they're contact, um, require a cover or to be disinfected between uses. So firstly, they um, can be used, as I said, rectally. So this is the most accurate way to take a temperature for any child under three years of age um, and is probably the recommended way for um, a child under six months, um, which I'll go to in a bit. But to use it rectally, basically you would lubricate the tip of the thermometer with some petroleum jelly probably, um, lay the child on their back and lift up their thighs and insert the thermometer about a half to one inch into the rectum. You can also lay them on their belly um, or on your lap and just insert it um, from there. Do not force it in if there's any resistance Hold it in place until it signals it's done. It'll do a little beep and then you can remove it and read the temperature. To use it orally, it's probably best for four to five-year-olds who can cooperate and hold it in place, but you place the tip of it under the child's tongue towards the back of the mouth, so right under the back towards the back molar teeth. Um, you get the child to keep their lips closed and hold it in there. Again, once it's signals it's done it'll do a beep and you can take it out and read the temperature um the thing is if you are doing it orally make sure that they haven't had anything to eat or drink within the 15 minutes prior to taking a temperature and lastly you can do it under the armpit this is the least accurate but it is okay to do as like a first check um, you place it under the the tip under the child's armpit making sure that it's touching the skin and not the clothing while it's taking the reading, it's it's a good idea to hug your child from the side to squeeze the um, thermometer against um, your chest, hug that side um, to keep it in nice and tight. Again, remove it once the signal beeps and read the temperature. So I started to talk in there about some things, but which is the most accurate? Um, temperature device to use you know obviously you've got a child you've got newborns it, you want to know that your temperature device is going to be accurate um, to be able to interpret any results so in studies the ear thermometer in ear thermometer has been demonstrate demonstrated to have the highest accuracy in comparison to others with the smallest error in temperature recording However, in comparison to the least accurate, it was only within 0.5 degrees, which sounds really small, but it can make a big difference when interpreting temperatures. So there's a big difference between 37.5 degrees and 38 degrees and what you would do. So the ear thermometers have demonstrated to only have an error of 0.04 degrees Celsius. So... They're very accurate, but as I said, they cannot be used under six months of age. So at what age can you use certain thermometers and what thermometers should you use per age? So from birth to three months, a digital thermometer is the best to use and to take it rectally. From three months to four years, a digital thermometer 
rectally or armpit or a forehead thermometer. Noting that you cannot use an ear thermometer until after six months of age. From four years and older, you can use a digital thermometer again under the arm and under the tongue. Most children can hold it in the mouth by this age. You can also use the forehead thermometers and by this age, you can use the in-ear thermometers. Another important thing is that you should always try and use the same device and same site when measuring a temperature. Um, so for example, if you are monitoring a fever and you're using a digital thermometer in the mouth, you want to keep using a digital monitor in the mouth ongoing so that you can interpret um, any changes in the fever consistently. So as I said, they can have different margins of error of temperature. So if you do, for example, under the tongue temperature, and then you do an in-ear temperature, because they can have differences in recording, you might get um, more, see more of a difference or less of a difference in the fever temperatures that you get, but it makes them harder to interpret. So always use the same device in the same area, especially if you're monitoring a current fever. Ones that are devices that are not recommended to be used because of accuracy are plastic strip thermometers. You can you will see these in pharmacies. They're like a little strip um, that you can stick on um, the child on their forehead or on their arm and they'll like change color and things like that. So they're not accurate for monitoring a fever, especially if your child's unwell. Dummy thermometers and any smartphone temperature apps. So avoid these. So a fever can be the first symptom to present prior to other symptoms if a child has something else causing the fever. Um, it can present in an unwell child with symptoms starting later, sometimes two to three days later. The most common cause, as I said, fever in children is an infection um, where fever can present and then the following day or two they can start to get symptoms such as a runny nose and cough. Other symptoms that can present with a fever, as I said, are usually due to another cause, but can be hot skin to touch, irritable or crying, more sleepy, vomiting or refusing drinks, shivering or pain. And I just want to note here, fever on its own should not cause crying, but crying can be associated to pain, which may come with a fever as well. Fever itself does not cause pain. It would be from another condition. Babies can, or children, can sometimes have a seizure or a fit when they have a fever. These are known as febrile seizures. So basically having a fit from having a high temperature. This can happen if a child's temperature increases suddenly and sometimes also occurs without the parents knowing that the child even has a fever. Um, they do not usually cause any harm or long-term effects. The occurrence of febrile seizures is fairly um, prevalent, so it does occur quite a bit. So in children up to the age of 7 is about 1 in 17, um, and they reoccur in about a third of those. So it 
pretty common. In treatment of pain and fever, later I will talk about paracetamol or Panadol, but I just want to mention that paracetamol does not prevent febrile seizures. So do not use it to try and prevent them. Seeking medical attention is important if a child has a fever to try and find the source. There is no treatment um, for febrile seizures. Um, They're usually self-limiting and will self-resolve. They can be very confronting and make a caregiver panic. However, it's unnecessary. So yes, you will need to seek medical attention to follow up, but during the seizure, the best thing you can do is keep calm, make sure the child is safe, such as laying them down not um, so they're not throwing their head about, supporting their head and seeking medical attention. So your child not only has a fever, but they also have pain. How do you tell if they are in pain? So older children will tell you if they can speak, although it can sometimes be difficult for children to explain exactly what they feel, where they feel it and how they feel. So a good way to assess pain in children is using a scale. There's different ones available um, and they can be more useful or not in different age groups. If your child is greater than three years old, you can use scales. Um, So one is a number scale. So you would say, can you rate your pain for me on a scale of one to 10 with zero being no pain at all and 10 being the worst pain you've ever been in? I'm sure you'll be familiar with this because the number scale gets used on adults as well. And it is where, yeah, you can select a number, um, you know, seven or three, but taking in note that everyone does interpret pain differently. Um, So it's a self-individual guided um, interpretation of pain. The next scale is a visual scale. So it's the same as the um, number scale. So it's got a zero at one end and a 10 at the other end, but you actually look at it and there's a line and they can point to where on the line. So instead of just thinking about the numbers in their head, they can see the line visually and the numbers and select it from there. The next one is a verbal scale. So using words, so you can say, um, you know, no pain. Do you have a little bit of pain? Do you have a lot of pain? Are you in the worst pain possible? So it's verbalizing those numbers. And the last one is the faces pain scale. So this is pictures. So thinking of numbers one to 10, there's actually, uh, I think there's five or six or whatever. I'll put it up on um, Instagram, but there's different faces. So a, a The saddest face will be kind of where a 10 out of 10 pain would be. And it's a grimacing face, whereas a zero would be a smiley face. So the child can um, relate to, you know, how they feel from um, a visual expression. However, these can only be used in greater than three years old. That's what all the studies and where they've said a child can interpret any of these um, scale systems. So for younger children and babies, um, you can look for signs of pain. So this may be crying or screaming, 
pulling, grimacing faces, changing in sleep or eating, if they're refusing to move or looking uncomfortable, squirming. Um, there are some things. If you want to know a bit more about pain and signs and symptoms, go back and listen to episode two of Teething where I go through that a little bit more. Um, so how do you know that your child has a fever or if it is another cause and or what is the risk of their symptoms? The UK National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, so NICE, NICE guideline, um, on pain and fever, it has a recommendation on a traffic light system. And this means is where you can identify the risk or seriousness of a child with fever. I'll put this up on Instagram and in the show notes, but it goes through things like the color of your, the child's skin. So if it's normal, they're green or low risk. If it's pale, then it's um, intermediate risk. Or if it's blue, then it's high risk. Um, it goes through activity of the child. So if they're responding normally, um, they're smiling, staying awake, um, then that's low risk of green. If they have no smile, decreased activity, um, then it's amber, immediate risk. But if there's no response, um, does not wake when aroused, really weak, then they're at high risk. It goes through breathing, circulation and other things. So you can kind of look, see what um, symptoms your child might have and correlate to the risk of the seriousness of the illness. So I think it's a really good one because it's very visual. Um, it can show you exactly where your child might be sitting. It is your interpretation and uh, like most caregivers are not health professionals, so you can't measure some of the things on here and whatnot. It's really good for a health professional to use, but it is good for you to use some of it and see some of it to get some idea and an understanding of what um, health professionals look for when they're looking at a fever. So I'll put that up. You like definitely have a look at it. Um, I think it's really helpful, but I will go through some more of those things now. So as I said, a fever can be caused by anything um, and that's anything affecting any organ in the system. So that could be we in like the urine in the bladder, it could be the heart, which is the cardiovascular system. It could be the lungs, which is the respiratory. It could be bone or muscle. It could be in the spinal fluid, which is your CNS. It could be the stomach, which is gastrointestinal, or it could be multiple of these together. Considerations to take of what is causing um, a fever. More commonly, it, as I said, is um, infections. So viral, bacterial, they can be urine or wee infections. Pneumonia, um, COVID-19, sinus infections, and also post-vaccination can cause fevers. Less commonly is bone and joint infections, skin infections, and blood infections. Um, since the introduction of the pneumococcal vaccine, the rate has actually fallen to less than 1% of children in healthy immunised children. 
There's also some rare bacterial infections and rare diseases that can cause fever. Um, they're really high risk, but rare. And I won't go into this. There's also much less incidence of them since immunization of, of children um, in immunized and healthy children. So let's get into treatment. For a fever up to 39 degrees Celsius with no other symptoms, there is no medicine treatment needed. A fever is a sign of the body fighting off something, usually an infection, and fever itself does not cause any harm, issues, or pain. Treating a fever does not treat the underlying cause. Remember to always monitor for any symptoms that are coming up. If your child has a fever, things to do are make sure that they have plenty to drink and are well hydrated. Signs of dehydration include dry mouth or cracking of the lips. If they're re having reduced feeds or water intake or they have sunken eyes. So make sure your child is well hydrated by giving them extra fluids. Fluid alone can help lower a fever. For children under six months, give extra formula or breast milk. For children over six months, give extra water or milk. And you can also use hydration solutions available from pharmacies. Um, you should encourage to drink them to drink small but more frequent sips of fluid so not trying to guzzle it all at once the next thing to do is to try and keep them cool but not cold so dressing them in one layer of clothing to help heat still be able to come off the skin um, if they are shivering it is a sign that the body temperature is trying to go up so you can cover them with a blanket to make them comfortable Younger children under one year especially should never be overdressed or wrapped tightly in blankets if they have a heat, um, fever because they can overheat much more easily. And do not let them become cold. You can use a wet, cool face washer on their forehead or to wipe over their face, but do not put them in a cold bath or shower. If your child is miserable or uncomfortable, then you can use paracetamol or ibuprofen. If your child is under three months old or dehydrated, then avoid ibuprofen, which dehydration can come with a fever. Both paracetamol and ibuprofen are used to treat mild to moderate pain. Again, they do not treat the underlying cause of fever. They only treat if there is any pain. So paracetamol can help bring fever down by a couple of degrees, but it can um, take a few hours. It's a pain reliever and can be used from one month of age and be, can be given every four hours up to four times a day. Ibuprofen is a pain reliever and anti-inflammatory, which can be used from three months of age. It can be given every six hours up to three times a day. It does not have to be taken with food, but it should not be given if the child is dehydrated. Both paracetamol and ibuprofen also come in several different strengths and has different brand names. This is really important. So make sure that you always read the packaging to dose your child, even if the pack packaging looks the same. 
always read the dose on the side. For example, both Panadol and Ibuprofen have strengths, or they'll say on them, 1 to 5 years and then 5 to 12 years, where the 5 to 12 year one is actually double the strength of the 1 to 5 years so that they don't have to take as much of the medicine. So you don't want to actually accidentally overdose um, if you're just using the same amount of mils going between them. Make sure you give the correct amount of pain relieving medication as per the dose on the packaging. So you, as I said, you do not want to overdose, but you also don't want to underdose and then have the child not get enough of the medication and therefore it not having its best potential effect. I spoke in the episode on teething about this in detail, but the main things are to dose on weight and age, to measure the appropriate the dose appropriately and accurately using a dosing syringe and use the dosing syringe size closest to the mill of the dose. For example, if your mills that you need is 2.5 mils, try and use a 3 mil syringe. If your dose is 8 mils, use a 10 mil syringe. You do not need to give paracetamol and ibuprofen together. It's actually best if you choose one or the other and use it regularly. Some people will have heard of alternating doses between paracetamol and ibuprofen. For example, give some paracetamol, two hours later, some ibuprofen, two hours later, you do for more paracetamol and so on and so forth. However, it's best to avoid doing this as it then avoids any risk for potential dosing area because your doses between the paracetamol and the ibuprofen will not be the same in terms of mils. And it also reduces the risk of giving a dose too early or too late. It can become confusing given paracetamol is given every four hours and ibuprofen every six hours. So it can be done, but it should only be done under supervision or with expert guidance from a health professional. Um, Next is aspirin. I just want to quickly say this, but never, ever give aspirin to a child. There's a very, it's rare, but a very serious um, risk with this, and it's a brain disease associated with giving it to children, which is fatal. So never ever, just do not give aspirin to your child, even if it's the only thing you have in the house. No aspirin. The next thing is that children's pain relief comes in different forms as well. So not just different strengths, but different forms so that you can choose one that is easiest to give to your child. So I'll just go through them briefly. There's drops which is a concentrated form, like a really high strength of it, um, the pain reliever, which they're commonly recommended for um, infants or really young children for the ease of administration. So you just have to give a tiny, tiny little bit and you know, well, can hope that it'll get absorbed. There are suspensions. So this is where the um, ingredient, for example, paracetamol, is suspended within a liquid Um, so it means you have to shake them really well so that it disperses throughout it it's similar to drops it's concentrated um, which means you can generally need a lower volume like a lower amount of mils to give your dose 
The next one is what you would be most familiar with um, if you're a caregiver and given paracetamol before is a syrup or elixir. So these are thin liquids where the ingredient is actually dissolved within it um, and it's added to, to the liquid to mask the taste of um, the ingredient. So that's kind of like your paracetamols and some cough mixtures. Um, there's chewable tablets. These are suitable for children aged three years and older. Always check the packaging. Um, these are good. They don't require water, um, so they can be really um, useful if you're out and about or traveling and quite convenient because they're small, so you could keep in your bag. And there's some nice flavors now, so um, you could always try with your child beforehand and then they're something easy you can carry around instead of a big bottle and not have to worry about trying to um, measure up a, a really accurate dose. The next is dissolvable tablets. These are available for children seven years and older, and there's also suppositories. Suppositories are really helpful, I think, especially if a child cannot tolerate um, oral pain reliefs. They're available for children from six months onwards. So, Especially if you've got, you know, a child under one, you can lay them on your lap and pop a suppositor. The suppositories go in the rectum, so up the bottom. Um, really easy to give to an under one-year-old. As they get older, um, they start might start refusing to, or not wanting to swallow tablets. Um, then they can be really helpful. Um, the other time I've seen them really helpful is when children get or even older children have really sore throats, um, getting tonsillitis and um, things like that, then suppositories can be helpful if they are having trouble swallowing. Um, the next thing is I just wanted to talk about a bit of differentials. So how do you know if your child's got teething, colic or fever from the past three weeks of things I've talked about? I will put a thing up on Instagram, but basically... In teething, you'll see pain, which if you have colic or fever on its own, you'll have no pain. In fever, you'll have a temperature, whereas in teething and colic, you will not have a temperature. Crying will only be seen in colic, not fever. You may see it in teething, but only if they have from the pain. Drooling. You'll see in teething, not in colic, not in fever, and stomach pain you'll see in none of them. You may not have kept up with that. I just wanted to touch on it, but I'll pop something up on the Instagram for you to follow. So when to seek medical attention. If your baby is under three months old and has a fever above 38 degrees, even with no other symptoms, then you are going off to seek medical attention. If your child has a fever above 38 degrees and is over three months old and has any of the following, then you need to seek attention. So a stiff neck, sensitive to light in their eyes, a rash if they're sleeping more than usual, have breathing problems, pain that doesn't go away with medication, pain medication, if they have a fever for more than two days with no obvious cause, if they are feeling more unwell, if they have a febrile seizure, any recent travel, if they have been in contact with someone who's been ill, 
if they are not drinking fluid or milk, if they are unable to do a wee or poo, if they're vomiting, and if they are floppy or drowsy, you are straight off to the emergency department. There's a lot of things there, but it's, as I said, basically fever is usually caused for something else and you cannot just treat a fever to treat the other thing. So it's really important to monitor for any symptoms emerging or changing to be able to tell your doctor to find what's causing it and then treat that cause. Lastly, you need to know about what to do in an overdose. This is very easy to do. If you are up, tired, grab the first bottle you see and just go and dose, then again, it's very easy to give an overdose. The first thing you need to do is just stop and relax. You are not a bad parent if you accidentally overdose your child, but you do need to act. Make sure that you know the strength and the medication with what you gave the child, how much you gave them, and roughly what time it was given. So what it is and the strength, how much you gave, and what time it was given. This is really important for the doctors to know and to know how to treat the child. Paracetamol is one of the most common medications given to children and as an accidental overdose, but also as from children just accessing it and drinking it themselves. Ibuprofen, uh, too much paracetamol can cause serious harm to the liver, whereas ibuprofen can cause serious harm to the stomach and also affect breathing. If your child has too much paracetamol or ibuprofen, call the Poisons Information Centre in Australia, which is, write this down or pop it in your phone, 131126. So that's the Poisons Information Centre in Australia, 131126. Or take them straight to the nearest emergency department, if possible, um, have someone drive you to the emergency department whilst you call the Poisons Information Centre and monitor the child. Some ways to attempt to prevent an accidental overdose is by storing medications out of reach of children. It's best in a locked cupboard um, where a child can't reach or a childproof cupboard. Do not take tablets out of their foil wrapping until you're ready to give them and do not leave lids off any of the medications. The lids on children's medications are child resistance, so try and make sure that they're always securely on. Even other medications that aren't for children that you have in the house, not just paracetamol and ibuprofen and having child-resistant caps, they should be kept out of reach of children in a cupboard up high. So a little bit longer episode today. <laughs> I've covered a little, a fair bit, so feel free to listen again or to parts when you feel the need to or if you need to hear some particular information again. Things that I really want you to take home from today are fever is above 38 degrees with no other symptoms and does not need to be treated alone. You should measure your child's temperature with the appropriate temperature device for their age and make sure you use it properly. Continue to use the same device whilst monitoring a fever. 
When a child has pain with fever, you can treat the pain if they are uncomfortable with ibuprofen or paracetamol, but it will not treat the underlying cause. Monitor children with pain and fever and seek medical attention if other symptoms present or they deteriorate or get worse. Always seek medical attention for a baby under three months with a fever, regardless of any other symptoms. Okay, so next week I am preparing to give you a rundown on a different topic where you won't be hearing about paracetamol or ibuprofen, and that is nappy rash. Again, I will outline what is nappy rash, what you can expect to see when you see a child that has nappy rash, how to recognize any worsening of a rash, or if it may or may be something else, and I'll discuss how to treat this and if there's something else there, how to prevent it and when to seek professional advice. Make sure you follow me on Instagram, Pharmacy for Me, and follow me on Spotify and allow notifications so that you know when new episodes drop. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. This podcast is where pharmacy is done differently. I'm Katie McGee, and you've just listened to another episode of Pharmacy for Me. The advice shared via Pharmacy for Me is considered general in nature and does not consider individual and personal circumstances. Pharmacy for Me presents evidence-based information for education purposes only. Always seek professional advice from your pharmacist or doctor if you have any concerns about an individual and medical decision making. Pharmacy for Me is presented by Katie McGee, a registered pharmacist with the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Authority. The information provided is within the presenter's scope of practice and abides by national law and the Pharmacy Board of Australia's Pharmacist Code of Conduct.